But let's dive in today to our series, part four we are in. Uh, this series we've been looking at, what are the essentials of what it means to be a follower of Christ? Uh, we're also looking at really our five values as a church, Catalyst Church, with correspond with these essential practices. Um, and we've sort of put our own sort of verbiage around it to who we are as a church. Uh, and if you missed any of the, the series, val, uh, first week, uh, we cover the first value, uh, which is that Jesus is our foundation. Uh, and we talked about how, how he is the chief cornerstone, and we are, we are building upon no other foundation except for Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, number two, Christina preached a great message on service is our posture. Jesus said, I came to serve and not to be served, and we follow in his footsteps. Number three was last week, and we talked about the importance of relationship and community, and that our, our third value is that we are better together. We are better together. And then today, we're touching on the fourth value, which I'm excited about, uh, which is that growth is our responsibility. Growth is our responsibility, uh, and I'm excited to dive into it today. Before we do dive in, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, God, I pray that you would just speak uh, through me today to us uh, as we open up your word. God, we love you. We honor you. We posture our hearts and our minds to receive from you today, and it is in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Spiritual growth is one of those things. I know if you're here today, I, or maybe you're tuning in online, uh, you, you desire to grow. I presume if you're here, you want to grow spiritually. You want to you grow personally. And in that, that vein, I want to talk about what does it look like for us to grow. And looking at the words of Jesus today of how we can grow spiritually. And here's what I also know, and maybe you've experienced this, that there's different seasons of life that sometimes you might find yourself that growing spiritually, you feel like kind of all things are firing on all cylinders and you're experiencing growth. And then maybe you come to certain seasons where you feel like maybe things get a little stagnant. And if you've been following Christ for some period of time, and I want to talk about how we can live a life of sustained growth. And we're going to look first at really how does Jesus, what is the growth he's wanting to see in our life? And then we're going to look at the words of Jesus and how do we experience that growth in our life? And I want to look at John chapter 15. These are the words of Jesus. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. We're going to read uh, uh, some scripture. Um, and then we're going to dive into this passage. And to give context, uh, John 15, um, John, the author of this book, um, his intent was actually to basically communicate. It's a, the nature of this gospel is evangelistic. Uh, he wanted to depict Jesus as the true Messiah. Um, to the Jewish people um, and beyond. Um, and he, he wrote this book, and in John 15, to get, also give context, it's right before Jesus would give his life um, on the cross. Uh, by this point in the narrative of the Gospels, uh, Judas has already decided to betray Jesus. Um, and John 15 is one of really his last kind of teaching moments, parable moments with his disciples uh, and it's a pretty profound one. And he says this in John 15, uh, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit 
by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have, have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I want to see in this moment of Jesus as he's, he's speaking about this whole idea of bearing fruit. Let me give context. He starts by saying, I am the true vine. And again, it's important that John noted this, that Jesus said, I am the true vine, because in the Old Testament, we see that Israel was refer, referred to as the vine. And here in this moment, Jesus is making a statement, and John is very clear to write this down in the gospel, because he wants to be clear what Jesus is saying in this moment, I am the Messiah. I am the one that was prophesied about. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the one that is a true source of life. I am the one that is a true source of your spiritual nourishment in that moment. So Jesus off the bat is, is making a declarative statement. This is who I am. You've been looking forward elsewhere, but it's me. Can we pull it into 2021? Because sometimes the vines in our own culture is we try to find a source of life from our work. We try to find a source of life from our achievement, from a relationship, from our possessions, from our wealth accumulation. And can I tell you, in 2021, Jesus is saying to you today, I am the true vine. And then he defines spiritual growth, which we often think because in America, American culture, we have adopted a Greco-Roman style of learning, which is very cognitive. That's why we, we, when we go to school or class, as many of you are in uh, school, whether uh, up the road with the uniform services or at NIH or you go to American University, uh, you're in school. And, and when you go to school, we sit in a lecture hall and we hear someone talk for 90 minutes. And you think to yourself, you should have stopped 81 minutes ago, brother, okay? <laughs> Hopefully, you, don't, you never think that about me. I know, I know. If you do, just don't tell me. But, but, but we, we got to understand. So we often, if we're not careful in our Western culture in America, we can, we can correlate spiritual growth with knowledge accumulation. We can associate spiritual growth with, I know more Bible, therefore I am growing spiritually. I know more about how God operates, therefore I'm growing spiritually. Now listen, understanding the Bible, understanding doctrine, theology, that's important. But here's what Jesus is saying. What he actually cares about is that you bear fruit. It's like you're bearing fruit in your life. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But, but my goal is that you bear much fruit. But, we, but if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, fruit that lasts. And he gives us a little bit. I want to define spiritual growth uh, of how he defines it here in this moment. And, and production team, you may not have all of these notes. I made some updates this morning. Um, so I apologize, but, but spiritual growth is, is defined, we see here, and I, I'm kind of taking uh, 13 verses and giving a statement. 
Spiritual growth is growing in obedience to God and love for others. Because he says to keep my commands, keep them, obey my word. And that you, in verse 17, he actually concludes this kind of moment by saying to love others. Like this is my main command, to love other people. So I want us to look at this whole idea of spiritual growth is not growing in knowledge. It's not growing in your understanding of doctrine. It's not knowing more scripture. Those are all great things. But the purpose of knowing more scripture is that you will bear much fruit. We've all met another, we've all met another follower of Christ, another Christian. They knew lots of the Bible, but you were like, hey, hey, bro, why don't you try it sometime, right? (laughs) Is it it working in your life? I mentioned several weeks ago to do a fruit check to see are you you exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Paul elaborated again. Paul wrote in Galatians 5 after this moment. He elaborated a little more about what the fruit of the Spirit is, you know, kindness and self-control and meekness and love. But let me me share with you three, three kind of, kind of directives, kind of what's our responsibility in this. And God ultimately is the one that bears fruit. Well, let's be clear about this. That also, see, up until this moment, that other religions of the world, you had to do something for God in order to be accepted by God. And now Jesus is saying, I'm actually flipping the script. That you actually, from acceptance, from love, from that posture, you now bear fruit. You don't have to strive. You don't have to do it apart from me. Let my spirit empower you as you are connected to me. So here's the first point I want to share with you today if you're taking notes, and that is remain in communion with God. And if you're not taking notes, just write this down. Remain in communion with God. Uh, I make myself laugh sometimes. It's embarrassing. So we'll move forward. Uh, He says, remain in me, to, 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 to remain in him, to be connected to him, to have communion with him, that, that he, he wasn't coming to establish a religious system. He was coming to have a relationship. And here's what he's saying. I want you to have this constant communion with me where my spirit's working in you. My word is taking root in you, that I want to have communion with you. Isn't it good news that God of the universe wants a relationship with you? Like he spoke the world into existence and he wants to have a relationship with me. That's amazing. Like that's amazing. He wants a relationship. And we've talked before about the importance of having a regular rhythm, a regular connection with God. And I was thinking about this as he was saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like breaking a branch off. He gives this analogy, and a branch will die if it's not connected to the source. And I thought about, I don't know about you, but I'm not not a gardener. I don't know if any gardeners are in the room today, but I, myself, am not a gardener. So, but I do have an iPhone, uh, God's preferred device, as we know. Um, But have you had this moment before where you plug, this happened to me recently, where you plug your, your phone in at night? And then you wake up the next morning and it didn't charge. And you feel like your life just ended for a moment, right? You're like, the devil is attacking me. I rebuke this phone demon in Jesus' name. Like, you're like, it's like, no, your charger just fell out of your wall. That's just what happened, right? But how many of you know a phone has a lot of potential? Like, you, you, can, eat, you can do work email. You can FaceTime your, your grandparents. Uh, you, can, you can scroll social media and connect with old college friends. Uh, you can read the news. You can, you can stream and binge your favorite Netflix show, all from this device. It's amazing, right? Now, Android, we know that you can't do all that because it's less than, but just try to relate to us. 
But an iPhone, if it doesn't have power, can do nothing. Like a dead iPhone, you're like, you, you can't do anything. Like you have all of this potential in this phone, but if you're not connected to the source, then you cannot properly perform the purpose that you were intended to perform. And here's what Jesus is saying. I am your source of power. Like, you cannot obey my word apart from me. You cannot bear lasting fruit and make an eternal difference apart from me. You cannot properly love people around you apart from me. The reality is we need the love of God. We need the spirit of God in our life. We need to remain connected to God in our life. And I thought to myself, when it comes to communion with God, there are many things that I could have spoke about. There are many things that I could have said in this moment about what does it mean to be in communion with God, but I want to hit one aspect of it because it's not one we've spoken of recently, and I think it's important, and that's on actually hearing the voice of God, hearing the voice of God. Jesus said this in John 15, 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything I've learned from the Father I've made known to you. Now, let me give context because this word friends is not the English word friend that we use. Um, he's not saying, hey, now we're boys. Like, we're like, you know, you ever seen this shirt, like, Jesus is my homeboy? Um, yeah, that's not really what that means. Um, because that word friend was actually a term that would be used by royalty. It was a term that Caesar would use. There was a phrase called friends of Caesar. And you became a friend of Caesar when you went from, when you were promoted out of servitude. So there was still an inequity of power, meaning Caesar was still more powerful than you. Caesar still had access to power that you didn't have. Caesar was still, and he would use this phrase, Lord over the friends. And Jesus, it's the same exact word. So when he says friends, he's not saying, hey, now we're equals. Now we're buds. You do what I want. I'll just do everything you want. No, it's actually, no, he's still king. He's still king. But we now have access to information that a servant doesn't have. He's saying, I now want to, I want to, I want to, I want to share some information with you. I, I now want to tell you what the Father's been telling me. John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That tells me that Jesus, that the Spirit of God is talking because he says, my sheep hear my voice. And I thought to myself, and maybe parents, you can relate. Parents, have you had this moment or maybe you just work with kids, maybe you're on the kids team where you have, you have said something to a child, and even though you thought they were right there in front of you, they heard nothing you said. Come on, anybody else? That's like 87% of my communication to my children. The other day, I was saying something to my kids. I, I, was, I was trying to get them to the, to the table for dinner, and I feel like sometimes it's like World War III to get my children to the table for dinner. Um, and, and, like, and like Abby's like in this room, like playing with their babies and Jude is like banging his superheroes together, having an all out war and Hannah's creating something in our kitchen table. That's the Burroughs household about four o'clock, five o'clock in the evening, just to give you a picture. That's all happening. So I'm like saying this and eventually parents, you've been there. You have to raise your voice and your kids are like, why are you yelling? <laughs> Cause you don't listen. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> But I thought to myself, in the same way, my kids sometimes are distracted and do not hear my voice. If I'm honest, sometimes I'm distracted and I don't hear God's voice. Can I be honest for a moment? I can have the Bible open, but my mind's elsewhere. 
I'm thinking about the tasks I have to do that day. I'm thinking about all of the things, maybe the, 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 day, the day before that are running through my mind. And I've read the scripture, but I didn't hear from God. Or I've sat in a Sunday service like you all here, you're online. And my mind's been thinking about maybe that big meeting the next day or what I'm going to eat. More likely what I'm going to eat in a few hours. <laughs> I know what y'all think about right now. I know, it's okay. Grace. But we can actually miss the voice of God. Can I affirm you for a moment? You hear the voice of God, whether or not you realize it. Because God's speaking. And, and he's speaking, and we hear him, whether or not we realize it. I want to help you figure out, how do I know if I'm hearing the voice of God? And I want to give you some, some scriptural basis and some direction that hopefully can help you grow in this. I'm going to give you three ways that God speaks. Number one is that God speaks through scripture. Always start with the word of God. For the word of God is alive and active, Hebrews 4.12. Do you want to know how God speaks through his word? I actually pulled this Bible out this morning. This is the first Bible I ever preached out of when I was a youth pastor years ago. You can tell how beat up it looks. I won't tell you my age. Uh, but I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, God, here's how God, you can know God is speaking through his word. One, we have his written word, which, uh, and we'll get into this, he never contradicts. But have you ever read a passage of the Bible and while you're reading it, it feels like a part of that script passage you read. Maybe you read eight verses, but one verse like, really stands out to you. Or maybe, maybe two words stand out to you. Like when I first read Hebrews 4.12, when I first read it, like when I was studying for this passage, the word active stood out to me. And I felt like God was speaking to me to, rem to remember that the word of God is supposed to be active throughout my life. It's not a moment of my day. It's active throughout my life. God will do that. And have you ever, have you ever had this moment? I've had this moment of receiving it as a pastor. Have you ever heard a message and you thought to myself, how does my pastor know what happened this week? How did he know? Like, this is weird. I'm not coming back to you, right? You know, it's like, can I help you out? The pastor or the communicator or the preacher did not know. Do you know who did know? The God of heaven. And sometimes people will even do this to me. They'll be like, man, man, pastor, when you said this, I'd be like, man, I don't want to freak you out. But, bro, I didn't say that. I know who did say that, though. See, I said this, but God told you that. Are you following me, church? I'm trying to help you bring it down practical because I think as followers of Christ, and for years I did this, I overcomplicated the voice of God to where I, I, I didn't know if I was ever hearing from him. But you hear from God because most of you in this room where I was saying those examples, you nodded your head like, yeah, I've been there before. But you heard the voice of God. That's how the voice of God will, will oftentimes speak. Number two is that God speaks through prayer. Jeremiah 33, three, call to me and I will answer you. Call to me and I'll answer you. I'll speak to you if you call to me and tell you the great and unsearchable things you do not know. God will speak to you through prayer. I'm gonna tell you a practice I, have, I do personally. It's in my, my, my daily meeting with God. Uh, which we covered in the first week, I'll have a, I have a journal. Now, if journaling seems like, man, that's, that's Jeremy, that's too big for me. Like, I, I'll never journal. I'll, I haven't journaled since I was like 14. Um, uh, just to give context, um, I do not like to write, hence I speak for a living. Um, and also, you can ask my wife, I have arguably the worst handwriting in all of humanity. Um, the only parent-teacher conference I ever had in all of my life was for my handwriting. And true story, in grad school, in a class of 12 people, 
the, the professor said, everyone can write out this assignment except for Jeremy. Your handwriting is horrible. Um, I'm still getting therapy because of that guy. But, but I've learned the power of journaling. And here's what I do. Usually after I get done reading the scripture, is I'll have my journal out. And I, and I just like, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? And sometimes it'll just be like, I love you. And I know from God's word that's true. Sometimes he'll give me some direction for the day. Sometimes he'll give me, he'll kind of, maybe a decision I'm, I've been praying about, he'll give me some clarity on that. And I'll, I'll give you a case in point of, of example that we're all benefiting from right now of God moving through our church in this way. During 21 days of prayer and fasting in January, today's the last day of 21 days of prayer for August, January and August. 21 days of prayer and fasting in January, one of my biggest prayer requests is for us as a church to have a location to go back to after being online for 13 months. I had about six locations I was praying through, plus I was actively reaching out, visiting places. Like I was doing the, the work part, but I was, I was praying. And during 21 days of prayer, I felt, I felt this strong impression. I'm going to get to how God can speak through prayer. I felt this overwhelming impression that we were to reach out to the Bethesda Hotel where we are today. And that wasn't on my list. Like, I was like, well, I wasn't even thinking about this place. We reached out to the Bethesda Hotel, and I'm not kidding you. About six locations I was looking at, it was like roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. We reached out to the Bethesda Hotel. The door swings wide open. I thought it was God. I felt like God was in this. So I knew this was, this was God opening this door. It was clear to us. And there were other things that affirmed in that moment. So how God can speak through prayer, sometimes you just have this knowing. Have you ever had that happen before? Maybe it's in prayer. You're like, I just, I feel, I feel this. Or, or maybe it's a reoccurring thought you can't, get, you, can't, you can't shake. Sometimes God will, and this is all in the scripture, God will speak through dreams, i.e. Joseph. <laughs> God will speak through visions, i.e. Abraham. Abraham, look up at the sky. All I see is stars, Jesus. <laughs> no. Or God, like, no, he's like, look, I want you to see what I see. Like, God, God will speak through these ways. Let me give you two filters, though, to ask. So if you're wondering, how do I know it's God or if it's cold pizza I had last night? Two filters. Does it align with God's word? God will never contradict himself. So I'm going to give you a real obvious example. If you're feeling like, I feel like the Lord told me to steal money from my neighbor. I don't think he did. Um, <laughs> because that's against his word. <laughs> but if you're like, I feel like I'm supposed to bless my neighbor, that's probably God. Because God's a generous God. Are you following me? Second, does it align with his character? He is good. He is kind. He is compassionate. Again, if you feel like God's telling you to do something malicious, I feel like the Lord told me to cut this person off on the beltway. That's probably your flesh. Come on, I've had the same thought myself, but I knew it wasn't the Lord. <laughs> Ask yourself these two questions. And, and, and constantly be aware of, like, is this God speaking to me? Because God is speaking. Here's the last one, is that God speaks through people. Proverbs eleven fourteen: 14, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is safety. Here's something you can do to, 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 if you're wondering, especially a big decision, like if you feel like, hey, I'm supposed to marry this person, or I'm supposed to leave my job and start this business, especially big decisions, can I pastorally and lovingly commend you to do this? Submit it to someone in your life who's filled with the Spirit of God. Submit it to somebody who's a spiritual leader in your life. Because the Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. 
Can I tell you, I have, I have some men in my life, some leaders in my life, if it's a big decision, I do not. I don't want to make it by myself. I'll be like, I'll call up. One of our overseers is commonly, I'll, I'll call him, but hey, I, I feel this. And he'll pray on it, and he'll kind of affirm, or he'll be like, I think it's this. He'll help bring clarity. So have a leader in your life that you can submit things to so that when you hear from God to know, is this really God, or it really is that cold pepperoni pizza you had last night. Number one, so remain in communion with God. Number two is remain submitted to God. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He says, I want you to keep my word, and if you do, your joy will be complete. Verse 1 John 5, 3 says, in fact, this is the love of God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now listen, if we just forgot, we were talking about the Bible for a moment, and I said that there is a book that if you read it and you do what it says, your joy will be complete. People be like, sign me up. I've been spending thousands of dollars <laughs> elsewhere to find joy. And Jesus is saying, if you keep my commands, your joy will be complete. He says, you will overcome if you keep my commands. This is how you love me, he says. Keep my commands. You know, as I was thinking about my, my phone uh, and how phones operate, how devices operate, you know, every device has an operating system, right? Like, we often think of our devices, whether it's a laptop or a, a tablet or a phone, like, we think of, like, the apps. But without an operating system, the apps won't run, right? Uh, and every operating system, there's a unique, op- like, an iPhone operating system has a different operating system than, a, than an Android. Like, the operating systems are different, but we all have an operating system, which then determines how the applications function on the device. Are you following me? We all have an operating system personally and spiritually. Do you know what our operating system is? Our thought life, both subconsciously and consciously. That we're, we're actually, we actually have an operating system internally that, that, that influence the way that we perceive the world, that influence the way that we approach things like our relationships, uh, our work life, the way we handle finances, the way we approach our health, the way we parent our children. We have an operating system. And Jesus is saying, I want you to keep his, my commands, i.e., I want you to operate according to my system. I want you to operate according to the way that I've done things. What are the way that Christ says to do things? That he says that we're to serve like he served. That we're to be generous like he's generous. That we're to be forgiving because he's forgiven us. That we're to be kind because he is kind and gentle. That we're to be compassionate. Have you noticed sometimes in our culture, does not operate the way, the ways of Jesus do? That our culture sometimes has a hard time with forgiveness? Maybe you've heard people even say, I'll never forgive. That's not the operating system. And Jesus says, listen, if you'll adopt my operating system, if you'll live in a posture of service, if you'll live generous, if you'll live according to my right way of living, if you'll live with a sense of integrity and righteousness, if you will live forgiving as you've been forgiven, if you will live kind and compassionate, if you'll use your words to build up and not tear down, then your joy will be complete. But he says, I believe, I trust Christ in his word. Let me just, let me just throw this thought out to you, if you're, if you're unsure. 
would you rather trust a cultural commentator, a, a radio or TV personality, a, a pop psychology author, over the person who created your very being? Let, let, let's trust the words that have stood the test of time. Let's trust the word of the person who spoke the world into existence. I think he knows what he's talking about when he says, your joy will be complete if you do things. But here's the reality. Can we acknowledge this? We all have different operating systems that we're operating according to. Some of it is inherent by culture. And I want you even this week, do some examination of your, of your underlining beliefs and thoughts that, that maybe drive you and maybe influence the way that you approach certain things. Like, for example, one of the common beliefs of our culture is our culture equates your value or your worth according to what you do or what you've accomplished or what you possess or who you know, right? That's why the number one question you get asked when you meet somebody in the Washington, D.C. area is, where do you work? What do you do? That's the common cultural belief, that I will measure you up. I will size you up by what you do. Do you know what that cultural belief will lead to? It will lead to a pressure that you were never intended to carry. It will lead to you working yourself into the ground. It will lead to a stress that your spirit was never intended to bear. You know, our culture also sells this idea that can be summed up in this way, that basically, like, I am my own God, right? Self is God in our culture. Like, and people will say, well, what's true for you is true for you, right? Have you heard that? Which, by the way, that statement in and of itself is actually a conundrum because that statement is an absolute truth. So if you're saying all truth is relative as an absolute truth statement, then you're actually, are you following me? So you see the rationale of our culture has some dysfunction to it. And can I tell you, you were never intended, you cannot sit on the throne that is occupied by Jesus. It will crush you. If you think that you are the source of all truth for you, like, please hear this. I love you. It will eventually crush you because you were not designed to be God. Like, how loving is our God that he frees you up from having to be your own God? He frees you up from having to figure out what's absolute truth because he's already decided what that is for you, and if you do it according to his ways. So there's cultural beliefs. Sometimes there's familial beliefs, like things we've inherited from our family that can be beliefs that are not aligned with God's word. It can be maybe, maybe your family, there was this belief that I can't trust anyone outside of my family. And maybe you live with a persistent wall up, kind of guarded personally. Sometimes we can have some ungodly beliefs uh, that are contrary to God's ways that we've just kind of through life, maybe just through our own hurt, through our own trauma, that we made an agreement that's not actually true. That can happen. So God is saying, I want you to operate according to my operating system, and your joy will be complete. Now, I want to carry on this thought, because he says in verse uh, 2, he, that the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Um, I don't know if I sent the picture to the team of the pruned bush. If I didn't, I'll just kind of explain but this whole idea of a pruning. Have you ever seen a pruned bush before? It, it looks like, I remember I, I read this article of a gardener who he was, he was uh, this guy had a gardener pruning his bush. And he said, when I, when I was watching him prune the bush, I literally thought he was killing the bush because he was cutting it all back. Have you ever, a, a pruned bush looks like a pile of sticks. 
like, and he was like, what are you doing? You're a gardener. What are you doing? Right? But you, you prune, you pull back so it can be more fruitful. And he says the Father, God in heaven, will prune you. So pruning means it may feel like you're moving backwards. It may not always be pleasurable for the moment. The Bible says discipline may not be pleasant in the moment, but it'll be fruitful for a lifetime. So, so pruning, and here's what I found, and, and here's as I was reading theologians discussing this idea of pruning. Pruning can oftentimes happen personally in seasons of hardship because we're often confronted with some thought patterns that are faulty. That, that maybe, maybe that job gets changed and you realize maybe you were tying some of your worth and your identity to that job. Or maybe a relationship ends and you realize you had some faulty expectations of that person that that person could never fulfill. Also, one of the cultural beliefs that we common are sold, and maybe you've heard this. I know, I know sometimes and I'll get a, a Hallmark card or a card for Valentine's Day or for Christina. And you ever seen the cards that say, when I met you, I was then complete, right? Or, you know, I didn't know happiness until I found you. How many know that cultural idea that you will find your happiness in somebody else is one that will set up that relationship to fail miserably? Because another person can never make you happy. Jesus says, keep my commands and your joy will be complete. Perhaps you realize, maybe you've had this moment in a relationship where you realize the reason the relationship ended, because you were expecting something from them. They were never created to give you happiness or a sense of joy or fulfillment. There's a prune bush. Sorry. Look at that. (laughs) See, that thing is ugly. You think, man, this done died. And sometimes pruning can feel like that. It can feel like we're actually moving backwards spiritually, but God's actually pruning us. Let me get real practical, and, 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 and we'll move on. Um, when it comes to pruning, is that especially during seasons of hardship, pruning is, 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 is replacing some of these faulty and negative and destructive thoughts with God's thoughts about us. Let me give you a framework. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is Paul writing. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Paul says we take every thought captive and we submit it. We submit it to Christ. Have you realized this? I know with the with that iPhone, when you have, whenever there's a there's a virus that has broken their operating system. I remember I asked a, a, an IT a guy who worked in security IT years ago. I said, Hey, what's the number one way I can keep my phone safe? He said, every time Apple tells you to download the operating system, download it. Because when, they, when they, they, they create a new operating system, because someone has hacked into the old one. So now there's a vulnerability. Like basically your phone is now open to viruses. But if you keep it updated, if you download the new operating system. So he's like, we can't control that there's people continually working to hack into the phone. But Apple is working to say, oh, when they hack, we'll download a new patch to protect the phone. And here's the reality. You cannot control what happens to you. And the enemy will come with a constant barrage of lies and ungodly beliefs and faulty thinking to try. What is, he, what is his aim for your life? John 10.10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He wants to completely destroy your life and blow up your life. And he does it through our thoughts. So we can take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ and get a new operating system internally. Let me give you a simple process to do this. Um, 
And I, I wish I had more time. Another message will unpack this some more. But he, here's some steps to, to, to destroying some of these negative thoughts, destructive thoughts. Number one is first examine the fruit of your thoughts. Here's what I mean. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Jesus said he came to give us life and life to the full. Uh, Jesus also gives us a peace beyond all comprehension. Here's, here's an indicator, a thought that you're having, a belief that's operating is not from God. Does it cause you to experience more stress, anxiety, fear, anger, discouragement? Jesus came to give you life. The enemy came to destroy you. Are you following me, church? So look at the fruit of your thoughts. If you're you're filled with anxiety, and this is the next question, is maybe just even process yourself. Maybe you can figure this out yourself. Sometimes you have to ask God, hey, God, help reveal the ungodly belief that I'm, I'm believing. So maybe you're feeling anxiety at work, and maybe that ungodly belief that's operating is that I'm never good enough. And that may have actually come from maybe your family of origin. Maybe you felt that from your father. That, that may have been passed down from his father. Or, or maybe that was from a previous employer who maybe just said, hey, you're not cut out for this, this industry. You're not cut out for this profession. And then you have this lie that's operating. And the reason you're constantly feeling anxiety at work is because you have this faulty operating system. Are you following me? This is how the enemy destroys us. He's not going to come all demonstrative sometimes. He comes in our thoughts. And he's like, if I can get you full of anxiety and worry, then I can suffocate your faith. I can distract you from your purpose. I can actually get you to forget who you actually are. Because who you actually are, you've been given all authority in heaven and earth because of Christ. If I can get you to forget that, then I can make you less effective for the other kingdom. And then you ask God to give you the truth. And, and here's, here's what I would say. Sometimes, right? So I'm not good enough. If you know your scripture, you know that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. In other words, when you felt like you weren't good enough, God said, you are more than good enough for me to put my son on the cross. And you, you get a truth from God. So you, you, you look, you examine, am I experiencing stress? Am I experiencing anxiety? Or maybe you find yourself maybe struggling with habitual sin or an addiction. Usually the addiction isn't the issue. A lot of times it's these ungodly beliefs that are operating. Habitual sins, we oftentimes want to treat the symptom, but that's the fruit. We got to deal with the root. A lot of times there are roots that are operating that, that happened back in our family or our childhood. So maybe this week I would encourage you, if you find yourself maybe stressed, maybe anxious, you can't sleep, maybe very discouraged, uh, maybe you're, you're struggling with a habitual sin. Maybe ask yourself, God, is there a lie that I'm believing? Is there a faulty operating system operating underneath the surface? And then ask God to reveal you his truth. Search out the scriptures to see what truth do you have for me, God? Philippians 4.8, the apostle Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul wrote that in prison. He probably had a temptation to think about some of the things. And he's, I, think he's, I think he's preaching to himself. I'm going to think about whatever's pure, <laughs> whatever's wonderful, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, because I'm in this cold and wet cell for my faith. But he knew the battle isn't against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers in dark places. And we have the power to demolish every stronghold. 
in Jesus' name. All right, I'm going to close this point. Is third point is remain in the love of God. Remain in the love of God. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus says, now remain in my love. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, I mentioned before that the, the word friend is the same word used for friend of Caesar and how, how Jesus was referring to this new level of relationship with his disciples, this new level of relationship with us. However, he still is king. But this is powerful. I want you to catch this. No king up until this point it was, this was something kings would not do. Kings would never lay their life down for their friends. And Jesus did the very thing because he loves us. And he says, I want you to remain in my love. And here's the reality is that we can sometimes operate without a full awareness of the love that God has for us. And I want to just speak God's love over you and his love for you. And I think I'm going to close with an, with an illustration. Uh, for those who are assisting with that, you can bring that up. But I, I want to share with you just three basic truths of God's love for you because it's so important. I had this moment with my son this week. It was his first week of kindergarten. And we were in bed at night. And he was a little bit, he, was, he, had, he had a little bit of a rough day. So I was lying in bed with him at night. And he said he got a little bit scared uh, earlier in the day. And um, I said, well, son, um, I said, I said, uh, when you feel scared, can, I, can your dad give you, give you some advice, give you a tip? He said, yeah. I said, I want you to ask God, God, where are you? And I said, Judah, do you know what he's going to say to you? I'm right here, son. I said, you know why, Judah? Because his, the Bible says he will never leave us or forsake us. Here's what I knew. My son could easily forget, so I'm reminding him that God is always with you. And I want to remind you this morning of God's love for you. Here's three truths about God's love. God's love is without condition. Romans 5, 8, he demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Come on, if God had an iPhone, and I think he might, you'd be the background photo on his phone. He loves you. God's love never fails. Romans 8, 38, for I'm convinced neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love never fails. Nothing can separate you. There is nothing in the world that you could ever do that could make God not love you. There is nothing in the world that you won't do that won't make God stop loving you. Here's a third truth. Is God love provides security. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Why is it important we understand how much God loves us? Because it is the foundation of everything. That this is not a religion that we, 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 we work and we we strive towards, it is a love that we receive as we remain in communion with him. We remain in his love. And he ends the moment by saying this to, this is my command to love each other. Remember, the, a life of bearing fruit is one that is obedience and love for other people. And here's how it works, is that Jesus said this, he said, that when you, when you remain in 
me. Have communion with him. You're hearing his voice. You're connecting with him. He says, when you keep my commands, when you remain submitted to the word of God, when you're identifying faulty beliefs, destructive thought patterns, you replace them with the truth of what God says about you and about your situation. And lastly, when you remain in his love, when you know how much he loves you, that even at your worst, he gave you his best. The overflow of that. As you do these things, here's what happens. As you remain in him, this glass is you. As you remain in him, as you remain in his word, as you remain aware of his love, see what happens is how you bear fruit is the natural overflow of all of that is you begin to bear fruit and you begin to love others. It's actually the overflow of what God does for you. If you ever feel frustrated that you're not good enough or I can't do enough, because it's not about you doing from him, it's about you receiving his love for you and what he's done for you and spending time from, with him and from the overflow of that it overflows onto other people that we begin to bear fruits and we begin to love other people church let's pray